When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the latest Love Tennis podcast. We are here arriving. James is on stage. Here he is. I was just about to say, James, welcome. But uh, Thank you very much. I was just about to say, we're, we're arriving at difficult times in the UK again. Not only is the country in national lockdown, but tennis has also been called off again. It's and Liverpool it's, are losing. It's, it's, and Liverpool it's, are losing. <laughs> so every cloud. <laughs> so some might see that's a good thing, but um, I mean, it, it is just a. We, we did have a brief conversation an hour ago whether we were in the mood to do this because it is just so doomy and gloomy again. But we, we've decided to persevere and carry on in the the good. British uh, faith that Boris Johnson keeps claiming we all have, but that's the last time you're allowed to mention his name this year. I'm <laughs> you, get, you get one go with him. At least I've used it early. At least he's had a haircut, which is more than can be said for me. Because you, you know, you sensibly, George, clearly had a haircut while you could. Where and yeah, Calvin had one haircut. About, Calvin had one about 15 years ago and still recovered. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, indeed. And then I have my mother's going to have to learn how to use some clippers in the next week or so because. We're getting a bit wide at the sides. Uh, yes, and you've got some nice glasses, James. I was going to say they look very nice. <laughs> yeah, you only like them because they look exactly like yours. Except if you look in our Zoom chat, George, you'll see that they reflect everything very effectively. Um, I can see. It's a good look. They're anti. They're anti glare glasses. But they're very hipster. Um, where to start, really? Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you've mentioned that we're in national lockdown, George. I want to try and avoid it where possible. I know that there's going to be some things that we'll talk about where it's unavoidable, but. On the whole, um, we'll try and talk about tennis and, and keep people's minds away from whatever else is going on in the world. Um, let's start with Roger Federer. In, my, in George's notes, it says Federer is dead, or is he? Um, Federer is not dead, um, just for the record. Uh, but he's out of the Australian Open. Um, his knee injury, we know he had two knee procedures last year, uh, one back in February before tennis was even cancelled for the year. Um, and then one, I believe, in June, is that right? Or is it October? I, I keep getting confused about the timeline. Either way, he had two knee surgeries in a year, and he still is not back. So he's basically facing a full year out of tennis. George, he's aiming for an end-of-February return, is that right? 
Yeah, so that's what his management have said. I mean, the, my question about whether he's dead or not is whether he's actually pulling out of the Australian Open for injury purposes or because he can't be bothered to quarantine for two weeks. Uh, I suspect the answer is somewhere in the middle, to be honest. Um, I think if he wasn't 39 with a decent-sized family that he wouldn't fancy lugging into a hotel room for two weeks, I think he probably might have gone for it. Um, but the re- reality of the situation was it's not ideal for his family and he still would have been pretty cl- hard pushed to be ready for a best of five set slam. So um, I, when I looked at the tournaments that are on, um, they said end of February. So I'm looking, I think it was the week of 27th, 28th. Um, right. Rotterdam's one of them, I think. Buenos Aires might be another one off the top of my head, but Rotterdam makes sense to me. I don't think he'll play Buenos Aires. (laughs) Yeah, me neither. Um, Rotterdam makes kind of sense because he obviously went there a couple of years ago uh, to see all the uh, oldest ever world number one. Um, So he he likes that tournament. And my understanding of that tournament was he got paid a massive appearance fee. So I suspect they might be able to conjure up something again. Um, And Roger will play there. Isn't it sponsored by, is it ABN AMRO, the the Dutch bank sponsored that tournament? So there's some pretty hefty backing. There is actually quite a lot of money in in quite concentrated spots in, uh, in Dutch sports. So, yeah, I can see them shelling out. I mean, you would, wouldn't you? Especially this year. Yeah, and, and to get Federer's first tournament back again is a pretty lucrative thing. I mean, it, whether there'll be any fans, I'm not so sure, which might bring down appearance fee um, figures. And obviously, when they were paying him to come to seal that number one, that was quite a big storyline. They knew they were going to get quite a lot of media attention from it. So I, I'm not suggesting for a second it'll be close to the figure it was before. But although Federer does charge a pretty hefty fee to turn up to these tournaments anyway, as I'm sure you could imagine. I think we might have lost James, just judging by the fact he's uh, frozen on Zoom. <laughs> you can't you can't see him, but he's got his hand down, looking like he's a uh, very sad. So, so I guess you and I can kick on and see. He's got he's in rural Oxfordshire. He says so. He's lost his Wi-Fi. So, um, do you think him turning up to stuff like Rotterdam's another sign as well? Perhaps that he's looking at this Connors record. You know, going to pick up a few more little. Little in inverted commas tournaments, Calvin. Oh yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, I think that's definitely what he's um, he's got his eye. On. I mean, I'm not saying it's just because of that. He'll want to get some matches in and he'll want to get some wins, that kind of thing. He's a tennis player, and he's always said that he loves playing tennis. It's always been his position that when it's for the last sort of seven or eight years, people keep asking what, when is he going to retire. And his statement was that when you retire, you do the thing what you love doing most, and the thing he loves doing most is playing tennis. So there's no point in retiring yet. Um, and I think that's definitely one of the reasons why he would be doing that. There's obviously a, an element that he's not got loads of time left. I suspect this will be his last year. Um, and he's probably going to play as many tournaments as his body lets him play, I would think. We, we are going to do some more formal predictions later on. Uh, whether or not James comes back to have his input, we'll find out. But I guess... Neither of us are thinking Federer is going to win anything this year major. I mean, he's talking about targeting Wimbledon, the Olympics and the US Open. That's the big three he's named. Certainly don't see him winning the US Open. How, how about the other two? No, I think with anything, no, I, I wouldn't 
expect him. I wouldn't back it, but it's with anything in any of the slams, isn't it? We've seen it over the last couple of the years that when when the big names sort of start falling and it opens up the tournament, and if if say Djokovic goes out. You wonder really, and and he's back to something. If Djokovic goes out and he's back to something like he was in the summer of 2019, you wonder who's definitely better than a 50-50 chance against him, don't you? Because he's had Nadal's number for some time. Um, I don't imagine he's going to be sort of much worse in that respect. Um, and the other guys he's at least 50-50 with, except for team, actually. Team seems to have his number. So in that regard, if Djokovic is out, I, I just don't see how he's going to beat Djokovic. Is are we perhaps underplaying what two rounds of knee surgery will do to a guy who's thirty nine? Oh, absolutely, stage? yeah, yeah. But we are. But you never know with knee surgery either. We don't know how serious it is really. Um, and you know, so I think in that regard, it, it's tough to say. And he seems like he's taking his time before he comes back. Um, but, um, yeah, I guess we'll... I don't know. That, that's my answer. It's not like we know for certain. It's not like when a footballer has a cruciate ligament injury. We kind of know what to expect. We know how long they'll be out. And we kind of know what they may have lost when they come back. A half yard of pace. Um, what they're going to be able to do. We don't really know anything about this other than he's had knee surgery. But it's you know that can be anywhere from a six week thing to a, a year thing, can't it? So, um, that's what it. are the what are the sort of things you're looking for then when he comes back? Say, is in Rotterdam? Are we looking at his movement? I mean, he, he's never been one to sprint up and down the court for the last five years, has he? I mean, he, he played. He's anticipating well anyway. So, what is it exactly that will kind of will notice yeah, that, if there's a problem? I think those things are going to be tough to tell because he's always been such a beautiful natural mover. Um, no, not much talk going through his body. He's not like um, like Nadal, who the you know the sort of talk and the physicality that he puts into it. He's always been such a fluid mover. It's one of the things that he's been brilliant at throughout his career. Um, I but on the flip side of that, I, I do think I've said this before. I do think he's lost a half yard of pace over the last couple of the years. He, he's not been moving. He's been his, his his movement has been as beautiful as it ever is, but he's not moving as fast as he was. So I th- it'll be tough to tell, really. I think more it will be, can he last the tournaments? And, and is it, are we getting a stage where he's pulling out of tournaments a lot? That type of thing. If, if he's and in I, the tournaments, I think he's, he's fit. Yeah. And uh, the other interesting thing to see will be how he schedules his year. And that's, that's something his management have said. They're going to be looking at, obviously, the, the schedule at the minute only goes to March. And we've lost Indian Wells as we've we spoke about the other week happening. Um, if you were Federer or putting yourself in the shoes of Federer, are we looking at him playing the clay this year? What are you seeing as his overall schedule? I was thinking about this today and I actually think the pandemic might have a say in that because if it is going to be his last year, I would think that he might fancy doing a bit of a farewell tour and sort of, you know, sort of thank the fans as such. But, if some of these places are going to have no fans there, that may sort of curtail whether he chooses to play them. I get, you know, like the, like the Aussie for, I don't, are they definitely having fans in the Australian Open? Yeah, so I think right, the okay. plan is at least 50%. Right, so if it was going to be the French with no fans, 
I don't think he'd play it, for example. Um, if it was going to be such as, you know, the Monte Carlo with no fans, I, I don't think he'd play it. But I think that would change if there were fans there. Um, I don't think he'd fancy going around tournaments where, on a surface that's going to be tough for him, um, to be going around with no fans having to quarantine. And, and from all accounts, from everybody who's on the tour, it's a pretty grim existence on the tour at the minute, hmm. as opposed to just being at home with his family. But then there are certain tournaments that I think he'll play. If there's, He'll definitely play Wimbledon if there's no fans. He'll definitely play the US Open. Um, I suspect he'll definitely play all the indoor ones that he likes. Yeah. And the um, Olympics, of course. If he's the fit. Olympics, he'll definitely play. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think his schedule may be sort of guided by a few things. I think it, it's difficult to tell at this stage because, again, with his injury, he may not know where he's at with that. Um, it may be a case that he... he he might think that he can do, for example, he can do three weeks in a row at the minute and then it turns out that he can't. Or it might be a case that he thinks that it'd be worse than what it actually is once he starts playing again. And I, I think you said before, you think this is definitely his last year, but are we, are we definitely ruling out Federer sticking around and just doing, say, nine tournaments a year for a couple <sighs> more years even? I mean, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. Uh, it's my position, and I don't base this on anything, but I think he'll revolutionise what retired tennis players do. I think we'll see a hell of a lot of um, exhibitions when he does retire. Yeah. I suspect that... Well, they've already I'd, started, of course, haven't they? I yeah. Mean, that's <laughs> I'm doing very, that already. I'd be very surprised if he's not at the O2 three or four times a year once he officially retires. He'll still play the Labour Cup and that type of thing. And... I think that there may be sort of in the next few years, there may be another two or three big names who also join some sort of exhibition circuit. So I think he'll only stay around the main tour when he thinks he's competitive to win it. Um, And then I think he'll, he'll carry on. He'll carry on in that form of Lever cup exhibition events, that type of thing. And of course, of course, from a British perspective, it would be great if he did that because it's coming to London in 2022 and you'd imagine that would be a pretty lucrative one at the O2 for them. Well, I've, um, so hope, yeah. let's hope he does do that. I mean, yeah, I've, I've sort of said that I was talking with a friend of mine the other day about the sort of the, the people in sport who've really transcended their sport. Um, and I, I said that I genuinely think if Roger Federer was going to do, he could, fill out, he could sell out a two-week residency at the O2 tomorrow i think if, <laughs> if, it was, if, if people were allowed in it and i don't know anyone else you know if you take into account for example serena williams is a huge name how many nights could she sell out at the o2 i think she might sell one i think then it might be struggling but i think roger federer against roger federer against anyone would do it roger federer against andy murray or rafa nadal i'd say you can sort of open checkbook on that yeah well, let's let's hope we do keep him in 2022. You mentioned Andy Murray there. That that seems a natural segue to move on. Um, now, we had a bit of a chat about this in the WhatsApp group this week. On Boxing Day, I think I'm right in saying it was confirmed Andy Murray had a wild card for Delray Beach. And less than a week later, he's not going to Delray Beach. Um, now... I'll be honest, I wasn't particularly impressed by this from the tournament's perspective. Um, 
which I imagine a lot of people were feeling like that. I understand why Murray wouldn't want to go, given the quarantine regulations. But I, but I was a little bit confused that he didn't know about those <laughs> five days before when he decided to make this decision. I, I don't see what changed so much about the situation between that period, but perhaps you can offer a more sympathetic ear than I can, Kelvin. Um, it was strange, wasn't it? Because it, it also now seems to have changed. I, I didn't read too much into it, but wasn't there something yesterday it turned out that if he went, it would mean what he has to do to get to Australia would change or something like that, or the restrictions change if he decided to go to Delray Beach, then there's less chance he could go to Australia or something like that. Yeah. I mean, but I don't know I, how he didn't know that already. I mean, well, that's that's the thing. So I, what I think it is, is the rule at Delray Beach was going to be if you are in close contact with someone who gets it, you have to isolate for 10 days. Now, from my personal perspective, that was just the rule anyway, isn't it? Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I don't yeah. understand why this was a sudden thing, but it seems that yeah. that's the main thing that like Nishikori pulled out. Dan Evans obviously was among those who withdrew as well. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to drone on about this too long, but it, it, it did seem strange that this didn't factor into his thinking, did it? Like five days before. Yeah, I, I, I found it strange that he was playing there at all, to be honest, because not for no other reason than it seemed a sort of very un Andy Murray schedule type of schedule. Like he normally sort of does his little blocks around the main tournaments and just to sort of go off to America the week before Delray, the week before Australia was, I, th- I thought it a bit, a bit of an odd move, but you know, whatever, I guess a lot of the players were going there. But um, yeah, the, the response to him pulling out, as we discussed in the group, was a bit strange as well. Like he'd, <laughs> he seemed to get a load of credit for playing it and also a load of credit for pulling out, which uh, sort of I found a little bit confused. I'm not saying that I, I didn't have an opinion on it either way, whether he should play it or whether he should pull out. I just found it strange that the same people who were crediting him for playing it were the same people who 24 hours later gave him huge credit for pulling out. <laughs> Um, I, I was just going to say as well, I mean, we've obviously had a bit of a break here, but we should probably just quickly look back at the Battle of the Brits that happened while we were away as well, particularly from Murray's perspective. Two matches played against Evans and Norrie, both won, both won in straight sets. I know this is one of those things when they're calling their own lines and stuff, it's not not to be taken too seriously. But I have to say I was quite encouraged compared to the Andy Murray we saw in Cologne for example, about two months ago. Physically, he looked a lot better. He was serving a bit better. What what did you take from it? Yeah, he looked great, didn't he? I thought, um, yeah, I thought, you know, considering everything, I thought he looked pretty good in those matches. I, I watched him against uh, Dan Evans. I didn't watch too much of his other match. Uh, who did he play? Who was the second match? Norrie. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't watch him too much against Norrie. Um, but, yeah, he, he, he looked definitely closer to the version that came back in the summer of 2019 or the autumn of 2019 than the one that we had last time. Um, And, you know, he looks competitive. I I still, my, my concern with Murray still remains um, the volume of tennis that he can train and compete at. Um, I think that's the, the still the question that has got to be asked because even in that, when he looked great, he'd, he'd agreed to play every other day 
a short match every other day. Uh, and that, that's exactly what I was just going to say. You know, this he literally had insisted he was only going to play every other day, and this was yeah. best of three as well, wasn't it? So, in terms and of a tie break. yeah. So, in terms of what he's going to have to do, two best of three set wins with a day gap in between doesn't tell us he's solved the problem we know he has at the moment. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it's still to be answered. Speaking of solving problems, I think I think uh, James might have solved his problems and might be here. Well, is, is that correct, I don't think I, I don't think I've I don't think I've changed anything. But um, <laughs> the, 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 the four the four goblins that run all of the internet in South Oxfordshire um, have decided that it's my turn to have some for a bit. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'll be here for you know maybe ten or fifteen minutes and then and then we'll see. Um, maybe actually, if anyone uh, if anyone speaks to Tim Henman um, in the uh, next little while, he doesn't live that far away, and if he's got good internet connection, I quite like to know how. Because um, <laughs> that'd be quite handy. Um, I'll ask I, I just, him next yeah, time I speak to him. Um, I, I just wanted to jump in on the Delray Beach thing, just very briefly. I don't want to over overcook the pudding on it, but um, what's what's wrong with a player entering and then pulling out? You know, should we necessarily criticise someone for doing that? Because clearly the plan was for Murray to go over to the States and train there for a bit, which I get it. Like Loads of people do this time of year. Go to Miami, um, spend a few weeks there, hitting there, warm weather acclimatisation, given it's going to be hot in Australia, and then play a tournament at the end of it. Why not? Who does it really affect if you, you, know, if you, if you, if you pull out like that? I well, think it, Sorry, do you want to go, George? Well, I was just going to say from the... So, I was going to draw a parallel to Queens, actually, because this happens every year, or at least with did Rafa. for a few years with Rafa. And I always thought, oh well, it doesn't really matter too much. You know, you have a big name on the on the list that you're going to have playing there, sell some tickets on the back of that, and you know, who really cares? But actually, speaking to the tournament directors and organisers there, they're always very embarrassed by that, and actually got to the point where they were saying to Rafa, look. You can have a wild card the day before, but there's no way we can commit to you anymore because it's actually a big embarrassment for our event to be saying we've got someone we don't. So from the, from that side of things, I don't think it goes down that well with tournament organisers, and I suspect with fans as well, it's, it's not great. But I, I don't know if you had anything different you wanted to say there, Calvin. Yeah, I think it's purely the, the wild card thing that when you say what's wrong with entering a tournament and pulling out, normally nothing. It's if they've granted a wild card it's sort of seen as bad form because it, it could have potentially have gone to another person who would have wanted a wild card. Um, I do think, having said that, I do think that's somewhat changed in the current circumstances, though. It's not like it's not like he... Like Nadal with Queens, he must know what's going to happen. He knows he's going to be in the last few days of the French Open, asks for one, and then pulls out because he was in the last few days of the French Open. Um, whereas Murray... I'm certain that he had every intention of playing in Delray Beach until circumstances change. And we see how quickly circumstances change um, just in the UK. Our school teachers are found out in the last 25 hours. 
Yeah, I, I so I so want I so want to really riff on that school teacher subject, Calvin. But I promise myself, I <laughs> it is dangled uh, a bit of bait there for you. Uh, Open for you to so jump out, James. Fuming. Well, I tell you what, George, it doesn't matter because whatever I say about school teachers now, I'll come back on a podcast in about thirty-six hours' time and say the exact opposite thing, and that'll be fine. Yeah. Apparently, I'll do that. See what I've done there. I've not said it, but I've said it. Let's let's move on before I lose my mind. Um, there's been a bit of scheduling. It's, we talk about scheduling a lot, um, but we seem to have a sort of schedule for the tennis this year, which presumably will last about 10 minutes. Um, I see already, <laughs> as someone who also covers F1, they've already torn up the F1 calendar, so that's great. Um, George, no, no Indian Wells, obviously. I know they're trying to get it later in the year. Does that, does that look very likely? Well, I think I might have mentioned this before the Christmas break, but it was so long ago that uh, I can't remember that. So apologies if any of our listeners are boring me repeating myself again. But um, the when I actually tried to write my own tennis calendar long before this pandemic stuff, I wanted to bin off Indian Wells at this time of the year as well. It's actually the hardest event to move around the year. The climate there is so difficult to get right. It's absolutely <laughs> boiling there till about... December um so yeah. my my gut instinct is they won't find a way to move it I don't know that for sure but that that's my gut feeling on it that it won't happen mm. but and as we mentioned before the man with the money there is uh Larry Ellison and uh, of all the tournament owners he probably won't be that bothered about not having a tournament there do you know what I mean like in terms mm. of lose is he that bothered about losing a bit of money on it it's not like it's going to affect his finances that much it's a financially stable tournament if it's going to be too much hassle is it worth it um i i just suspect it won't happen but i've been wrong a million times before so i'll happily be again but i, I couldn't see it going anywhere before november and i don't really understand how that makes sense um, um go on Callum. Uh, sorry james uh no i was just going to say that i think in terms of the week after at Miami, I'd be very surprised if Miami doesn't go ahead. Um, I just spoke literally in the last hour with a mate of mine who works in West Palm Beach, who, um, which is about 45 minutes out of Miami, and he says it's the busiest that he's been in five years since he moved out there. Um, really? In that everybody's playing tennis down there. Everybody from everywhere else in America has gone down to sort of Florida. Um and the sporting events are filling up and that type of thing. So the bars are open. He says they're pretty much almost back to normality. So I'd be surprised if Miami doesn't happen week wow. after. And that, of course, the, the, do you, I actually bring your wells, right? Because the idea, well, we said, the idea would be that they would, they would, you know, go together, either both not run or both run. Well, I was going to say Miami's already on the schedule. So Miami is scheduled to go ahead, but mm. there were. There were some interesting discussions about Miami not being in Miami, as in making a very <laughs> long detour out to like uh, Abu Dhabi. There, there were very wow. serious discussions about that during uh, during our break. Um, I, I don't know how they're going now, but I, 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 I suspect Miami will happen somewhere, somehow. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> it, I'm right in saying will I they still call IMG it? Are the will they still call it Miami? If they hold well, it in the Middle East, will they still call it Miami? <laughs> that might, like might be like the recent snooker where they had the British, the, the, the English, the Irish, Scottish and Welsh Opens all taking part in Milton Keynes. 
and and the commentators, <coughs> which of course is in neither of those countries. And the commentators that sort of a couple of players went, you know, well, you know, I've always played well at, uh, in Ireland. And it's like, like you're not in Ireland, like, and it was the same venue. Like the players stayed there for basically for four weeks. <laughs> like, like just bizarre, uh, bizarre watching. Sorry. So maybe I mean, that might be might be what it like Miami in Dubai or something. Yeah, it'll it'll be a lot, won't it? Like, um, you know, I was just putting together our rotor in boring things for February, and looking at like the week before the Australian Open where we've got these two ATP 250s in Melbourne, um, as well as the ATP Cup and the two WTA tournaments as well. And it's like, will that will it just all feel like lots of practice matches, or, or will they have like a bit of character to them? Because that's what I love about tennis is, is having these tournaments all over the world on different surfaces and different crowds. And you know, in New York the crowd are noisy, and in France they're really grumpy. And you know, will it be like that? Or is it just going to be like the same tournament over and over again? Well, they they should all have fans. So I mean that that in in some way, I think will be a good thing to watch. I, I don't know how quickly we'll get bored of that. Um, mm. I, to be honest, I, I'm not 100 percent sure exa- the exact location of these Melbourne tournaments either, or what exactly is happening beyond them being called Melbourne One and Melbourne Two at the minute. Um, so I, I've, I don't, I didn't think the plan initially, and this might have changed was to host it at the Australian Open. The plan was to take them somewhere else around Melbourne, but I, I don't know the latest update on that, to be honest. I've, I've not been doing my job very well. Um, so. <laughs> Great. Excellent. Joy um, to have you this week. You won't need you next week. Just take it off, honestly. Um, I, gave you, I, I gave mean, you some I'm, good Miami info there. That, that was me doing I, my job. That was, think, that was good work. I think um, it would be, you know, without wanting to go all, all England tennis club on you, I think it would kind of denigrate the prestige of the Australian Open if you basically played a warm-up tournament on, you know, let's say you don't play on Ash. And yeah, I was going to say, on... it might be outside courts with the final being on the third biggest one, Absolutely. if they were going to do what's that. It, what's that they've, one just re- they've just renamed it again. I've forgotten the name. They've oh. literally just renamed Absent. it again. They used to have a sponsor name. <laughs> um, what about Margaret Court Court? That's always my, I mean, I know it's not. Is it still called Margaret Court Court? It is still called Margaret Court Court. Somehow. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like you would just. Anyway, again, another. <laughs> we can do this when that actually comes around. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk a lot about Margaret Court Court Court. Um, I do want to talk about uh, venues in Melbourne because I saw this story and it's quite interesting, um, which I think a lot of you won't have seen because it's really quite recent and it's kind of mostly been in the Australian press so far. It's basically that one of the hotels all the uh, players are planning on being uh, cooped up in, for want of a better phrase, is the Western in Melbourne, which I'm told is a, a pretty um, pretty luxury hotel. Uh, but within it are a load of apartments owned by, um, you know, well, for, for various rich Australians, effectively, um, you know, which they live in. Some of them live in. Um, a couple of them are quite old, and they've expressed a... I think a fairly valid and, and quite reasonable concern about the fact that they're basically about to become a, hu- a sort of hub for hundreds of players and trainers from around the world. Um, I saw a quote from one of them who, I'm trying to remember his name now, um, but he was 84 and he's like, I live here, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to avoid coronavirus because it's quite bad for me. And um, you're about to bring all these people from around the world into my complex. 
And I think they're going to basically challenge it legally. Um, now, the, the Victorian government um, have an interim leader at the moment and have their own problems. But, you know, this could go to whatever the equivalent of an Australian Supreme Court is, which I assume is a kangaroo court. <laughs> I mean, I guess... Thank you very much, Calvin. Is, <laughs> is, is there... Um... I guess the, there is an argument that, like, well, if you if you live in a hotel, it's one of the sort of, you know, it's something that you might have to consider. I guess they didn't know this was going to happen when they <laughs> um, when they bought the hotel. George, you're talk. I can see that you're talking, but I can't hear you. Yeah. Um, but you've also been rubbing your microphone against your jumper for quite a while. So there's um. No, you, yeah, I just can't. Oh, you're back. I'm back, I'm back, you can hear me? Yeah, we got you now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was strange. I, I was just saying uh, that I think I'm right in saying that the hotel has different exits to the apartment section. So their argument is that there's no need for them to cross round in that sense. So I, I, I'm not... And the other thing that I think might make them struggle to get the legal challenge a little more off the ground is... It, because from reading that, I thought that they were planning on like legally challenging the hotel itself. But I think they'll struggle with that because it's a state approved thing. They might have to take it against the state rather than the hotel or the Australian Open because it's a it's from above them. But I, I, I don't know. I, I suspect it's not going to be a massive issue during this tournament. It might be something that happens. We find out about it nine months away. But I, mm. I, I think this is just a bunch of rich blokes trying to get richer, to be honest. I mean, I don't know how they're going to make any money out of it, George. I think that's a bit cynical. I mean, the, 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 suing the hotel. Them... Oh, well, I think that's, my, that's the, my understanding of the legal situation is they're trying to basically get an injunction that that mm. stops them using the hotel. Um, and I think, as as one of them said, there are loads of other hotels in Melbourne. Why this one? Which is <laughs> the most like barefaced display of nimbyism I've ever seen. Like, he basically literally said, "Not in my backyard." Um, but you know, I'm suggesting they might suggesting they might be looking to get their palms greased because of the potential legal challenge. I see. That's my Maybe a, suspicion. They can get double rations of free bars. Sure so. a... I have a good question. If you do live in one of these hotels, do you still get you know like a little bit of shower gel every day and like <laughs> a bit of shampoo? Because that might you make it so, worse. You? you never had to buy toiletries ever again. It, you know, the financials might start to work out a little bit more. Maybe I might <laughs> be looking into this. As someone who is soon to be homeless, I might, um, I might start thinking about this. It's, it's actually could... a regular debate that we have on the circuit amongst other coaches. Could you live in a hotel? Um, <laughs> and then it sort of never tires of, of debate, that one. Um, and, and what's your uh, feeling? What's your feeling, Calvin? The feeling tends to be that if you're single and without family, then absolutely you could live in a hotel. Um, yeah. And, you, you know, just sort of take advantage of the sort of, yeah, it, it's probably even better than having an apartment or something like that. Um, I it, think with I'd family, need to change hotel. I'd need to change hotel, you know, periodically. Because I think yeah. some of them are so anonymous. And also the the menus are quite limited. So... Like, yeah. you don't have to eat there every night, James. No, no, you're you're not allowed to, yeah. to go to a restaurant. Well, no, if outside, I'm going to commit to living, surely one of the rules of the debate is if you're going to live in a hotel, you have to like this has to be your home. Like you eat ninety percent of meals there. You know, the, you can't just go out for dinner every night so you can get something different. I think that's I think that's part and parcel of living in a hotel. <laughs> I, think that, 
I mean, I have, a, I, have a mate, I have a mate who's owned an apartment for, I think, about seven years now, and he's never cooked a meal in it. <laughs> so, um, there, there's actually non-tennis related. He once told us that we once round there, and he told us that he'd we'd, we'd sort of taken the mick out of him, and he said he'd cooked a Sunday dinner the week before. Um, uh-huh. And we sort of went, all right, fair play. And then about 20 minutes later, one of the lads went to put his beer bottle in the bin and found a microwavable Sunday dinner box in the bin. <laughs> in the bin, in the bin. <laughs> and that's the only meal he's ever cooked. But anyway, back to, to be tennis. fair, I did. Uh, in, fir- in first lockdown, um, I heard uh, a, f- a friend of mine basically say that his his flatmate, he was like, he'd always suspected because, you know, in some of these flat shares in London, you just never see your flatmates. He's like, he always suspected he didn't cook very much, but just assumed that he did it at different days and stuff. And during lockdown, he basically, like, they spent a lot more time together. And they started cooking together. And right. um, at the end of the month, he said, uh, guys, I've saved so much money this month. I, I don't really understand it. And they're like, well, it's because, like, we've been eating in and stuff, and like, maybe you've not been. But yeah, yeah, I, I reckon I've saved £600 a month on food. So this guy was spending wow. six hundred pounds a month on takeaway food. Wow! But then, wow. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could physically do that. I'd find that physically difficult to do. Yeah, it's the one thing that, like, when I go away um, and when I've been on the road and I come back, I can't wait to just start eating cooked food, normal <laughs> food that I cook. The last time I went to yeah. Greece, I mean, I had when I was in Greece before, um, sort of the back end of last year because um, Greece was pretty much in lockdown. The only restaurant that was open was a Giros place, and I had Giros every night for 14 nights. Um, and <laughs> I, mean, I never I, I never want to see another Giros. Um, <laughs> I mean, I love Greek food, but that's because it's... I, quite... I did it before that. I, when someone <laughs> told me there's a Giros place around there, I couldn't get enough of it for about six nights. And then, yeah, it wore thin. Okay, I think it's fair to say we've become a little bit distracted. Uh, from from tennis, but that's okay. I think war stories from the tour are more than acceptable, and it does make us understand why players take chefs on tour with them if they can. Yeah, because you would in the end. Maybe that's the niche. If you're a crap physio, just become a good chef who does a bit of physio on the side, and you'll get get yeah. more gigs. Um, but we we should move on because it, it, this is our first um, pod of 2021, um, which was supposed to be a big year for all of us, but it turns out we just could be in our bedrooms. Um, so that's all right. uh, and uh, we should therefore kind of throw some predictions out there. And um, since George is the one who always makes us do, do these predictions, Calvin and I don't like actually having an opinion. But neither does George. It's quite odd. Um, maybe you should go first, George. Um, do you want to start with slam winners? Is that the easiest place to start? I, I thought we should go slam by slam, and each have a pick on it. Very I good. thought that was a good way of doing it. Um, okay. So I. I was thinking I should have had a think about this earlier and I'd put it off all day and then just had other stuff on. So I've not really thought about it, but from the men, I'm going to stick with Novak because that's the easiest one. And I suspect in Australia, you'll go for the same for Australia. Yeah. It's, Novak, it's hard, you... isn't it? Because if, if Australia throws up, it, or if any of them throw up weird results, sometimes in Australia because early season and guys are a bit out of form or not quite in shape and, things like that, or quite often still injured from last year. Um, you know, we had that, was it 2017 when, when uh, Carlo Mo made the semis and, you know, that was a weird year. Who was the, oh my God, I've forgotten his name, Jun Chong, the Korean guy. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a kind of tournament where that can happen. But my instinct is that 
if anyone's going to be good coming off kind of a cold winter, you know, with no real tennis under their belt, it, it's Novak because he's kind of so unbelievably focused. You know, he, he won't have noticed the world stopped revolving because he just has no interest in things outside of his own bubble. And <laughs> he'll have been so busy, like, rearranging the molecules of his tap water. But it, it just won't <laughs> Just imagine that. what that tap water can do now. <laughs> After six months I, more development. <laughs> I think also on a on a sort of semi-serious note, without wanting to read too much into Novak's personal life, I know he kind of made some cryptic comments what must have been a year and a half ago now about like recommitting himself to his family um, and kind of spending a bit more time with, with his wife and his um, children, child, 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 he's got at least one. Um, however many children he's got, two. Um, and I think probably has had excellent opportunities to do that over the last couple of months. He obviously had that extra 10 days in New York that helped um, where he didn't have to play in tennis because he smashed that woman in the neck. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I, he, I think genuinely, I think he's someone who, when his head's in the right place, you just can't beat him. Like, he, there's almost no one better at beating Novak Djokovic than Novak Djokovic. Yeah. Um, and I kind of expect him to come out next month and be the most zen version of Novak Djokovic. Um, so, to, in short, George, yes, I agree. Yeah, he's, and he's Djokovic in Australia as well, isn't it? I mean, yep. he, he just when it when his mind's on it, he doesn't lose in Australia. Um, mm. And you know, I think is it how many has he won in Australia now, George? Eight, I think. Eight, yeah. And you Eight. think he had the two years where his head wasn't on it? And if he doesn't have those two years, you wonder whether we're looking at a Nadal in Paris type record because he just doesn't lose there, does he? Mm. Mm. No. Um, well, there's consensus so, yeah. then. If Novak Djokovic leaves well, the Australian Open, we look like idiots. I'm going to caveat it by saying, as I said, I think at the back end of last, uh, uh, and in last year's podcast, that it's been some while now since he's he's won big matches in slams. Was it, mm. was it last last year's Aussies? You know, we've all predicted him for all of the. Well, I think somebody predicted Nadal for the French. But, um, um, <laughs> but other than that, we keep predicting for all the big tournaments, and he's he's not winning them as as regularly as he used to, is he? Mm. No, I mean uh, you can't really argue with that. You know, he was at one point pretty much unbeatable, and he's now beatable, um, one way or another. So difficult to argue with. Anyway, Novak Djokovic is going to win the Australian Open. Um, George, do you want to do the French next? I mean, that's the traditional one, but God knows. You know, this is the thing. This is the order they're supposed to go in. But it, it might, actually, it might... actually, can I can I just come one more thing on that? That it's literally just sprung into my mind now. That are would we say that Medvedev and team are more likely to beat Djokovic at the Aussie than Federer or Nadal have ever been in his prime? I. Hmm. Possibly. I always favor whenever he played either of those two at the Aussie. I always heavily favored him. Now I'd make him favorite against Team and Medvedev, but I wouldn't make him. This would have to go horribly wrong for him not to win it. Favorite, mm. if you know what I mean. It's hard to imagine like the the situations where Djokovic loses to those two, especially now. Um, mm. Whereas I think I would fancy Team over Medvedev to beat Djokovic in Australia at the moment. Um, yeah, 
I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, Medvedev's like a hell of a hardcore player. I don't deny that. But I kind of think specifically with Djokovic, I, I think you just have probably have to outgrind him if that's possible. I don't yeah. think he has to have a bad day. I think if you look at Medvedev's Australian results last yeah. two years, he's lost to Novak in four two years ago and was by far the person who pushed him hardest there by a long way. That was a three-hour match yeah. where he made it really tough. Then last year, he's lost in five to Stan, who played really well, actually. like That was Stan yeah. playing at a good level. The confidence he had at the end of the year, I know we know that's a little bit of a poison chalice that things don't necessarily roll on as they have done for other players who've won this tournament. But I think the signs are there that you shouldn't read too much into Medvedev only going to the fourth round there. He's lost very tight, very tough matches. Yeah, I've not yeah. seen him lose to bad people in hardcore tournaments like slams for a while now. So I, I actually think Medvedev is, is is the biggest threat to Novak there. I'm going to say he's a bigger threat than the team. Um, but that's just based on gut rather than anything particularly logical. But I just think Medvedev made that little step up end of the season. So I'm, I'm backing him to have a good one. Would you say, George, just, I don't know whether you cut off there from it, would you say that, it, that those two are more likely to beat him than, say... Nadal and Federer have been in recent years. Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah I mean, obviously I Federer say, yeah. can't beat him this year, but yeah. I think Djokovic versus Nadal on a hard court, um, there's only one winner these days, um, yeah. particularly best of five. I think, Med- I know teams had a lot of success on hard, but Medvedev is yeah. pro- a naturally better hard court player than the team. Um, it's, it's his game that suits him best. I, I just think he's, he, he's someone yeah. who might, might really fancy himself this year. And I, if I was going to have to go against Djokovic, I, w- I would take Medvedev next. Yeah, well, and it's, uh, I think it's the clo- It's the. It'll be the toughest Aussie he's had to play for a few years. I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, you say if you don't get Djokovic, you'd have him. I'm going to enforce a rule for the next prediction where, if not Nadal, because I think probably hang on we've got, we've got to do the women's James we've got to do the women's Australian Open first surely oh, or are we doing a men's through or do you want to do a men's through and then a women's no 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 no, no, no. let's stay in Australia I, I was thinking we do each tournament, tournament. <laughs> I, I apologise for, for skipping past you uh, well you can start then since you've thought about it most um, the Australian Open women's singles please I, I'm going to go for Halep which isn't a particularly original pick um, I just think I know she got battered in that French match that was a bit of a surprise, but actually every other match she played last year was very high level. I think she's the most likely player to just turn up to a tournament and be the best one there of the women's players. And I just fancy her to to kind of pick up where she left off. I know she won like Prague last year when she'd had a long gap out and just looked very solid straight away. I, I just suspect she'll be ready to go. So she's probably who I'm picking. How do we how do we rate Ashbarty's chances? It's kind it's, of a, you, you don't form, right? But it's a good question. I mean, it's, it's obviously, it's slightly different, but same for Kyrgios as well, isn't it? These are guys who actually have not played any competitive tennis all this time. Is it a time where they've really knuckled down, focused, read in Kyrgios's case, rediscovered the love for tennis? Who knows? But I think I mean, you know, Barty's a very natural player, isn't she? I mean, she, she's not someone. Again, I think needs masses of matches. I think she's a really brilliant sports play, sports player. Uh, full stop. So, I think she'll be good. I, I just, I don't know, just fancy Halep a little bit more, but I wouldn't rule her out. I'd, I'd rate um, 
I'd rate Kyrgios' chances the same as I'd rate anybody who hasn't been in the second week of a slam for five years, um, <laughs> regardless of a pandemic. Um, not a serious tennis player. Not a serious tennis player. Um, I really um, want him to win now, just so he can play this. <laughs> he won't win. <laughs> I guarantee you, he won't, he won't win. Um, Let me believe, uh, Calvin. Let me believe. Barty, yeah, good shout, actually, Barty. Um, kind of forgot about her. There's also Andrescu. Is Andrescu planning on playing it? I know she's been training. I think so. I don't see what I haven't heard yeah. to the contrary. I mean, ni- 98 of 100 women, 98 of the top 100 are on the entry list, so... You know, she was training. And, I saw, and don't um, ask me who the two who aren't on there. I saw her, um, some footage of her training out in Dubai, so I assume she will be playing it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those two, they'd be my top three or four favourites um, mm. to win it, I would think, along with Alep and, you know, Sphere as well. She looks a serious player, doesn't she? Are we saying no to Sophia Kennan as well? I mean, she did so well to get to the French Open final to follow up that Australian Open yeah. win. And yet, I don't feel like I want to come in and say Sophia Kennan's a real favourite to win this. It's quite a weird situation she's in, isn't it, as well, yeah. in some ways. She's hard to back. I think I think we've all... I mean, look, it's hard to back anyone in the women's game because it's so death. <laughs> um, I find she, she's kind of genuinely been quite difficult to to get confident behind. You know, if she gets hot, she gets hot. But I think otherwise, you kind of feel that you're not not very safe with her. Um, two two, two more names as well: Osaka and Azarenka, finalists of the oh, last hardcore slam. Of yeah. You know that they're, yeah. Osaka probably is going to be the tournament favourite. I imagine. I haven't looked at the bookmakers' odds, but she is someone I would expect to be down there as the favourite. Um, mm. Now I'm thinking I probably should have taken her over Hallett, but I just have a little feeling for Hallett for some reason. I mean, Azarenka's won it twice. You know, I mean, she she knows what she's doing in Australia, um, and she's been in really good form. George, you've got to put your microphone out of your shirt. You just I'm, all I'm hearing is your t-shirt. Right. Sorry, sorry, I'm having honestly, all sorts of technical problems here. Yeah, um, it's unprofessional, simply put, quite quite frankly. Your fee will be docked, although twenty percent of zero is still zero. Um, Right, let's move on to the French then, since we've all kind of dithered around and vaguely picked a prediction there. Who, who um, did you all pick? I didn't even get that. <laughs> well, I was, I, 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 I made the mistake of posing my prediction as a question, um, because I wanted to pick Ash Barty, and then Calvin right. jumped all over it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I would like to stick with Ash Barty. I know it's not a big deal picking the world number one, but on a home tournament. But I, 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 for all the reasons that other people said, I think she's a a natural sports person. I don't think she necessarily needs time. I think she's incredibly settled. I think kind of staying at home has worked for her. I think, it, it, you know, she's kind of said, she's kind of checked out of the stress of it. And Australia is a great place to be at the moment. Just life's pretty normal there. So go for it. And, and who did you actually pick, Calvin? I think that got lost. Um, I, I didn't pick anyone, but I am picking Osaka. <laughs> yeah. Right. I reminded you just in time. <laughs> I, ch- I changed yeah, my I pick hear... three times there, actually. I was going to go <laughs> during the conversation. <laughs> I, I was going to go. I think the phrase, I go, the phrase you used, was... Calvin, was, they're my three or four favourites. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> A very, very George Beltor-esque move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're very well um, that. Uh, yeah. Right, French Open. Can I can I go there yet? Nadal. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's Rafa Nadal, isn't it? You can't not pick him. Maybe yeah. a fresh a fresh team. Fresh team. I want to see though. That that's the caveat. He he was a bit unfortunate to arrive off the back of a long US run. I still believe team 
Well, I believe team will have more belief he can do it now. So I, I wouldn't rule team out doing it, but it'd take a gargantuan effort to beat Rafa, as we saw. So yeah. Rafa's the man to go for, I think. But anyone want to be brave and take team? There'll be a year. The thing is, there will be, obviously, there's going to be a year where he doesn't win it. But um, I, I don't, it's, it'd be stupid to not predict that he won't win it now. He just, it only happened like three months ago and destroyed everyone in the field. So I can't mm. see what's going to have changed between then and now. The, again, I, I said this at this French Open. What I want to see is I want to see him go through team and Djokovic back to back or whatever. Yeah. Whoever. yeah. A, but a fit team would be good. You know, a five-setter with team and then a five-setter with Novak or something. Yeah. Novak wasn't there at the French Open final, really, this year, was he? Uh, well, I mean, the first set wasn't terrible, even though he lost I mean, it was by a bagel. <laughs> I know, but it was quite close. I mean, that's the weird yeah. thing about that. Like, it, was, it wasn't was a terrible set, Novak, <laughs> yeah. which sounds so weird to say. Yeah. Um, no, I know what you yeah. mean. Uh, it, it, it was a really... I mean, it took nearly it, an hour, didn't it? Yeah, they're still the two players who are capable of beating him in my mind on clay. And I know, I think Novak slipped well down the pecking order after that final, but the team last year's, is, team's number one. Last year's French as well is like an anomaly just because of like the conditions and like no crowds playing in freezing cold. Like it was, yeah, it was good to get it on, but I don't read loads into it. And what was interesting was that Nadal made out that it was going to sort of suit everyone else. And I said at the start that the, the slow conditions and the heavy balls will suit no one more than Nadal. And that's basically yeah. how it panned out. Although I did love having a whinge about it, which I thought was quite Oh, nice. yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just because it's different. I suppose if you've got quite severe OCD, you know, the yeah. changing the tournament you've won for the last 10 years is probably going probably gonna to yeah. wind you up. Um, on the women's side, um, I'm going to jump in and pick Simona Halep before George does. Um, because, as he quite rightly pointed out, she was absolutely untouchable for a week and then randomly got absolutely monstered by Swiatek. Um But, you know, I think she she is probably the best clay court player in the women's game. I don't think yeah. that's overly controversial. Yeah. Um, My only though, Bart- Barty as well won it two years ago, didn't she? So, I'd, mm. you know. My my only reluctance to take Halep is I can't see her winning back to back Australian and French. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, so if I yeah, if I do genuinely believe she's going to win Australia, I, I I wouldn't then pick her to win the next one. Um, Who would you pick then? Oh, crikey! I mean, if you're trying to find form on the clay for the women in slams, it's impossible. I mean. I like Kiki Burton's on clay, but she gets to the French Open and it seems to go horribly wrong. I mean, you remember this year, she was wheelchaired off. Uh, the year before, she pulled out with illness um, in the second round as well. So, you know, she's, in my opinion, the second best clay quarter out there. But I find it hard to pick her based on what's the last two years. But maybe maybe I will go bold and go for Burton's. I, I feel like I'm going to be zero for two in the women's game here, but... <laughs> uh, I'll maybe go for Bersons just based on our clay pedigree. The other one's Muguruza who always pops into my mind. I just can't help but have a little bang on her and she's done it before. Um, Kvitova I always feel like should do better and never has quite done it there either. Um, I thought she would beat Kennan in the semi-finals. I was surprised she lost that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'll, go for, I'll go for Bersons. We'll see. It's a weird year, isn't it? Anything can mm. happen. Calvin, have you, um, Calvin, have you got to pick someone? 
Yeah, um, I will pick Barty. I think it's. I think yeah. I, I yeah. don't think you're far right. I don't think you're going to be far. Assuming she comes, <laughs> assuming she doesn't say right. now, they're fancy. Actually, yeah. I've changed my mind, James. I've changed my mind. Oh. I'm going to go. For, I'm going to go for Andreescu. Uh, okay, on what grounds? On the grounds she was playing very well on clay as well when she had her that round of injuries after before she then went on to win the US Open. She looked very good there. I I just keep forgetting she's there. If she's fit, I actually back her at the hard court slams and the French Open. And I, I'm not sure she'll necessarily be match ready for the Australian, but I think she will be by the French comes around. So that's my latest logic. <laughs> um. Can we go to Wimbledon now? Have, have, have we covered all the ground that we need to cover? Yeah, some bloke called Nadal's winning the French, we think. Great, yeah, I mean, that seems somewhat inevitable. Um, no one's played grass court tennis properly for two years by the time we get to Wimbledon, um, which kind of means that everything goes out the window a bit. But I suppose you have to kind of look at guys whose games have advanced the most last since last time we were there. And who's got a game that's well set up for Wimbledon? I mean, someone's going to pick Roger Federer, but who believes in his knees? Um, I'm not going to pick him. Silent. No one's <laughs> for Wimbledon. That is... I mean, I on the grounds... You know, the sorry, differential I pick that, sorry, that I have to pick Federer. Well, I just, I, you know, just to be tactical about it. I, I think Wimbledon's the toughest one to pick. I think he's got the most potential pitfalls and that kind of thing. I don't pick Federer, but I think it's also the one that if he is, if he told me Federer is going to win a slam or he's going to be in the final of a slam, I would say it's going to be that one. Um, but I wouldn't make him favourite. I'd probably make him in the top four favourites, though. Um, purely because I don't think that Team and Medvedev, Zverev, players like that are as dangerous at Wimbledon as they are at the others. Zverev should be right. Like Zverev's got, you know, he's got a game that should be quite well cut out for it. Um, kind of, but he's got that second serve as well. So um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd sort and... of forgotten about about what the fun of watching Alexander. It's like watching Gregor Dimitrov serve two years ago. You could just call he, it he, double faults. Calvin may disagree, but Zverev never looks that comfortable moving to me on it either. Um, no, he's not. He's, he's not. It's the it's team's problem as well. It's the thing with grass is what, what people don't get is the movement on it. And team, I think team's the best mover in tennis, and he but he doesn't move well on grass. Um, he also doesn't volley well, Zverev, as well. So yeah. basically, I give him his first serve and his backhand on grass and nothing else. I think I I always think Sissipas is going to be the first one of those lot to really yeah, emerge at Wimbledon. Um, I, I'm not saying it'll happen this year, but I know he goes and practices at Queens quite regularly. I know he loves kind of the English setup. Um, he spoke about how grass is like his favourite surface to play on, even though he's not necessarily had the results. He can volley well. He's got a good serve. I I just feel like he's the one who loves it enough to want to really progress on it yeah. um, that might be unfounded but I, I, I see Sissipas winning Wimbledon a couple of times in the future um, yeah. compared to some of the other ones so but I'm going to go for Novak you'll be surprised to hear <laughs> because I think he's of the the three best players on it are Djokovic Murray and Federer and the other two aren't playing 
well enough in any degree to back them to win a Grand Slam at the moment. And Djokovic mm. always is. So Djokovic is the clear pick for me. I think for for me, partly tactically, because I know neither of you are going to pick Federer, but also because what we've already seen from Federer this year is there is a list of priorities. There's a hit list and he is going to prioritise extremely prudently. And that hit list probably has Wimbledon at the top of it and yep. potentially the Olympics just below that. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Federer plays three tournaments all year and it's they're in London, Tokyo and Bern. Um, He'll play Haller as well. <laughs> well, no, I, I don't know if he will. I, he's, he's missed that before recently. He'll play the Labour Cup as well. Sorry, that's the, that's the one. That, oh, he'll definitely be there. Um, and I, I think that, you know, he will he will put his body... He's not going to put his body through hell to win Haller. He's not going to put his body through hell at Madrid Open. Like, he, he will put himself through hell to win Wimbledon because it's the most important tournament to him. And I kind of think if Roger Federer... Heps up, hops up on painkillers and like gets out onto the grass at Wimbledon with only one desire left in his life to win it. I am not in the position to bet against that. I, obviously, there's a huge number of ifs there, but you know there's also a huge upside on him. So that that's why I'm picking Roger Federer to win Wimbledon in an uncontroversial move. Calvin, you've got Fair. to pick someone now. Um. I will pick Djokovic as well, although I wouldn't be surprised if Tsitsipas comes big either. We'll remember you heard it here first. And let's switch into the women's draw. Um, we're going we're gonna to change up a gear as well because we're uh, running yeah. out of time. Straight um, picks. Pick a woman to win Wimbledon, George. Oh, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean... I think the players I associate with doing well at Wimbledon, obviously Serena, obviously I like Kerber's proven there she can go deep. Magarutha's proven she can go there and go deep. Um, again, I, I actually like Ash Barty for this one most. I think she's got a very good game for grass and she's done well at Birmingham and stuff before. Um, it's not quite happened happen for her yet at Wimbledon but of all the slams that's the one I thought she was going to be most likely to win first obviously it turned out to be the French which came as a huge shock to me but but I think Barty is going to be my pick there Callum um, I'll go for Andrescu on that one I think maybe her and Barty will win one each uh, next year so or maybe more than one each but it could be either or I find it tough to pick between them so I'll pick Andrescu <laughs> Um, I'm kind of going against myself. I'd be wanting to say Alina Svitolina to, to win a Grand Slam this year <laughs> for a while. It's kind of been like chipping away at me. And I can't help but think that this might be her one. I mean, look, the women, as, as I always say, the women's game's wide open, but, you know, she she had a nice draw two years ago and got through it, but you know, you've got to do it. And she, she did it and looked quite good. And she's not a traditional good grass court player, but she seems to do all right there. And, you know, I think if the draw falls well, which it very much can, like in the men's game, it's quite hard for the draw to go that well just because of the dominance of the top players. But you can get to a semi without having to work too hard. And then you're only four sets away from a title. So 
that's yeah. my rogue pick. I mean, I say rogue, she's world number five. Um, you know, she, she she can hold a racket, so that's where I'm going. <laughs> um, and let's move on, finally, to the US Open. Um, Are we doing Olympics before that, seeing as we're going chronologically? No, we can Olympics come back after. to the Olympics. No, because do you even know what surface they're playing on? Have they even built the stadium? Hardcore. It's the same place as Tokyo events held. Oh, that's disappointing. I was hoping I could really slam you there. Um, clearly, there's more predicting we're going to have to do next week. But uh, my final ask from the two of you is for a prediction for the US Open. George, go first. I'm going to go Medvedev, actually. I think I think the US is the one you get the most mixed results. I think Medvedev, as I said, I'd see him number two on hard now, even though teams, the guy who's won the hard court Grand Slam and been to a final, I, I, I do actually fancy Medvedev. If he were to play team, I'd, I know he lost again in the US Open, but since then, Medvedev's returned to form, shall we say. Um, I don't see him losing bad matches on hard courts. And I think he's capable of beating Novak if needs be. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go for Medvedev. Calvin. George, did, George, didn't you just say that the Australian was the one that throws up the most weird results? No, that was no James said that. <laughs> oh, was it? oh, James did that, right. I always, Apologies. Say, the US, I always say the US is the one that throws um, up the weirdest results. We're going to have to statistically make... prove who's right on that, by the way. Uh, it is doing... In the men's, it's the US, 100%. Mm, it wasn't always, though. Think about Not always, not always, but in the, in the big four era, I'm saying. Okay. You've had Chilich, Mark, team, <laughs> He didn't um, win it, though. Medvedev for me. I also... I mean, if Djokovic is still going at that point in the season, like, you know, and so the same with Nadal to a certain extent, I don't think Federer will play the US. I just don't think he'll be in any fit state to do so. I don't think it's that important to him compared to the others. Um, I liked Andre Rublev's kind of gradient. Like I just kind He's of not been. <laughs> I don't think I don't necessarily think he'll win it, but I would like if he gets to a final and wins a set to have some tape from January where I was like, you know, Andre Rublev at the US is, you know, I just I just think I know he's not a talented player. I know we've talked about his like skill levels. Um, that's I know it's something you said before, Calvin, that he's not a skillful yeah. player. But he's uh, a yeah. non skillful player who has reached three Grand Slam quarterfinals and is bouncing around at a decent level. And you know, if he plays his calendar smart, it's you know, peak late in the year. If he's gonna try and peak anywhere, peak late in the year, go to the Olympics and represent a non country, because that's what Russians are gonna have to do this year. Um you aware of this? You can't represent Russia at the Olympics. You have to go independently. Go as a neutral, but you can right. have like the Russian colours on your jersey. It's very strange. Um, I'll anyway, say that's what happens. Um, on, on the US, I will say it's unlikely to happen. I realise, but if a fully fit one Martin Del Potro is around uh, <laughs> and match fit, then he tends to make the semis and the finals of US Open when he's fit. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say to that, I mean, it, it feels weird to me, and I know I'm guilty of doing this as well, but it feels, feels weird to me none of us are backing team to win a slam this year. I mean, he's I, I th- improved I think, so much. It, it, I think that just goes to show where the competition is at at each of these slams at the minute. It's it's a Medvedev team flip for one of the slams for me in a yeah. year at the minute. I don't know if that, you guys feel the same. I, I also think it's so difficult to predict because we don't know where everyone's at. 
in terms of like half the players haven't played. There's been no crowds. We don't know like if team really is legit Grand Slam winner with crowds there and everything. There's still questions to be asked. I mean, I'm not saying they're not, but it's it's hard to predict where people are at as opposed to what would be a normal year, isn't it? Or um, on top of that, we still don't know whether these tournaments are going to have crowds in them and whether they're going to take place at the right time as well. So it's so difficult. I think he might end the year as number one, though, team. That's that's where really? I'm going to lead wow. with this. So I think team might not necessarily win a slam, but uh, I actually see him being the most consistent all year round and winning a, and cracking number one. Okay. That relies on the rankings presumably changing, as in like the ranking system not being. It changes in March, I think. Well, but th- that could change. Like yeah, that, it could do. That, I, I don't. I don't see it changing now, because they've had a full year since they needed to change it. I, I do see things going ahead in some capacity all year round, the yeah. way they're planning it. Um, so yeah. I, I don't. I don't see it changing again. Um, I might be wrong, but that that's. I, I think team. If you look at where he was last year, he was very close behind Novak in terms of the actual year's ranking. He was comfortably above Rafa, and he yeah. is. If he has a, if he, I know obviously if he was to win the Australian Open, he'd move above Rafa. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I just feel like he's consistently getting big results, and I think the Masters are going to become a lot easier for him to win now because the big guys aren't going to be so bothered. I think he can chalk up a few Masters wins and get. I see him being in a final of an Australia, a French, mm. and and possibly all three. Like, I see him consistently playing really well. I'm just not sure he's going to win each one. Um, so, yeah, I think mm. he's going to be year-end number one for them. Wow. Um, on that bombshell, to coin a phrase, we'll have to leave it. Um, and we've gone on too long as it is. Thank you very much for listening. If you're listening back on the podcast... Um, we didn't do the ladies US Open job, did we? Oh, you're so right. You're so right. Sorry, it's Andrescu. one of those days. Andrescu. Osaka. I was going to say Osaka. Take Azarenka. You love Azarenka, James. I do love Azarenka, but she might. You never know. Nine months time, she could have given. <laughs> she could have decided it's not worth it. She's, she's too good for it. Yeah, um, she's a flu player. No, I like Osaka. I think it's a good pick. And on that bombshell. Can I go now? <laughs> You can go, you can go. Cheers, guys. It's been fun. Catch up soon. Au revoir. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.